Hi, thank you for listening to the Spotlight Report, our weekly podcast in which we sit down and speak with current academics about their life and research in lab. If you like the Spotlight Report, you can subscribe on iTunes, like our Facebook page, or find it on any common podcast app. You can also directly find the podcast on our website, which is loft.optics.arizona.edu backslash podcast. Please comment any questions or ideas for people you would like us to interview in the future. Additionally, if you have more feedback, feel free to email us at thespotlightreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Sit down. Sit down. So today we sit down with Oliver Spires, who is the assistant manager of Micro Optical Fabrication Facility. So today we're going to talk about the freeform optics fabrication, but focus on the diamond turning and molding method. And really, thanks to have you here today. Good to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we start off with you talking about what made you decide to go into optics? All right. Um, well, my previous career was in um, in avionics. I was in the Air Force, and uh, like there was some cool optics stuff that we had, like the mm-hmm. the canopies on fighter jets are mm-hmm. acrylic. And <laughs> that's something I deal with now. Um, and we had like some uh, targeting pods that were really complex telescopes on gimbals that you could zoom, and it was really powerful stuff. Um, but anyways, I got out of the Air Force and did civil aviation for a little bit. And then um, after I moved to Tucson, I decided to decided to start using my GI Bill. Um, mm. And during my freshman year, I took Opti 200 as a gen ed. And that really sparked my interest and hmm. declared it as my major the next year. Was that, was Dr. Uh, Nofziger t- teaching it at yeah. the time? Yeah. His, uh, his enthusiasm is definitely contagious. To yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't know. I think he powers it with pure caffeine, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what I run on to. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think you wanted to ask me how I got into this uh, this specific area too. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so, based on like my being in in avionics and uh, knowing like electronic stuff. And being interested in mechanical mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. stuff, right. uh, I got a part-time job working for Todd Horn in the optomechanics lab down on the first floor. Um, and while I was down there, I learned machining in in metals and stuff. So like working on the lathe and mill and right, all the other right. metal shop tools, um, and that was really interesting. And you enjoyed it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a there's a toss-up between. I've spoken to people who have to use or go through machine shop training, and some people, myself included, it's like, this is incredible. You know, like that experience of taking a piece of metal and shaping it into something useful Mm -hmm. uh, is really powerful. On the other hand, some people are like, this is terrible. It takes too long, and trying to be precise with everything, they just don't like it. So, yeah, a lot of people when they're beginning are scared of. Yeah. Yeah, because it's showing themselves. themselves (laughs) 
messing up the part or right. breaking the yeah, cause, the tools. Because the teacher always, who always teaches you, will say, "Okay, you have to be really careful." Because yeah. the accident yeah. happened before. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> you do. <laughs> yeah, and you definitely. Well, at least for me, at first, I always get like feel that's dangerous and yeah, yeah. afraid to do something, and they got a really precision requirement for that. And mm-hmm. I feel like, how can I just make it? Yeah. But when you make the first thing, and you feel like, okay, it's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and with um, with experience, you learn how to. Plan your cuts so that you mm-hmm. are less likely to to mess something mess up, it up right? as you're building the part. Yeah. So, so the the path that you took to to getting into optics, in the sense that you came and you had a background, particularly with dealing with optics that obviously incorporated a lot of mechanics into them, or yeah. at least they they were optics in a very practical sense. Um, yeah. I think a lot of the students that we talked to here get into optics and they think of lasers or they might think of telescopes and lenses, but not in the sense of how do these happen? How do they get made? Um, usually it's not till their senior year in optomechanics when they might start grasping that this is some field that they can go into. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious how that guided your experience of the optics classes. Just as you went through the program, because you were here for, for the undergraduate program. Right. Um, did you find certain classes more or less interesting? Um, well, I think uh, the past experience kind of guided some of the uh, electives that I took. Mm-hmm. Like I took um, Matt Dubin's... Um, his design, the, yeah, 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 the yeah. optical engineering, right? The old Matt Dubin's course, right? Yeah, <laughs> and that was a lot of fun because it is, it is the optical principles. It's engineering, right? Like project design and/or management, depending on right, what right. roles you take as part of your team, and then putting the thing together and then testing, testing it. it. And <laughs> in his course, there's always a competition, yeah, as part of that testing. So you're you're battling against other students in your class, right? To cool. to see who has the best design. Right, right. I still I I'm gonna give a talk tomorrow, and the end of the talk is gonna be my advice as a graduate student. If nothing else, take that class with yeah. Matt Dubin because it's super useful. But he actually showed on the five twenty one four four twenty one class the optical mechanic intro to that. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. He gave a brief introduction to that yeah. in okay. his class, and uh, every student gets excited about that. Yeah, it's, it's people who suffer through it don't want to suffer alone. They want to pull other kids <laughs> yeah, through it. Yeah, just like, Come Come on, friends. Right. <laughs> so, so in particular, when I took optomechanics, we had to draw up... Um, I don't know if this is the same, actually, because uh, Jim Birch doesn't teach it, but we had to draw up the mechanical designs, and... Eventually, those filter down to the mechanical uh, mechanic shop, where they have to take these designs and build something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were extraordinarily terrible at it. The designs that we made are like borderline incomprehensible, generally impossible dimensions and whatever. Um, so, working with Todd, did you see that much? Did you get these designs and just say like, "We cannot make it"? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, when you're going over drawings, you you make notes and say, hey, this <laughs> right. right here is not going to work. Right, right. Maybe we should do this instead. Like, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing, you're talking with mm-hmm. whoever the customer is, mm-hmm. recommending changes or... Right. That's a very uh, polite way, I think, to phrase it. Because I've, I've spoken to, I've spoken to uh, people in the other machine shop, and they have used different terms to say their reaction at seeing some of these drawings. Um, <laughs> but the same idea, I guess. Um, yeah, and I've I've seen some of that. Um, I remember in senior design, like you know, each each team who's in the breakout session uh, will present their their drawings as they're going through the program, the design right, right. procedure and everything. It's just like, ooh. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> okay. That's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a learning experience. Yeah, it is. And that class gives some of that, and Dubin's class is like right. that senior design <laughs> on right. steroids. Right. It's, yeah. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Like quadruple the pace. And mm. So, what do you do right now, like for your for your job on the micro optical fabrication facility team? Um, so, I've got a couple roles in my job. Um, I'm lab manager, so if there's like lab organization stuff um, mm-hmm. or uh, stuff that needs repaired or replaced, I'll help with that. Uh, also helping uh, helping people learn how to use the metrology equipment that we have, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's one role. And then design engineer, so like kind of using some of my background in right. uh, the optomechanical track that I took in undergrad and uh, you know, mm. optomechanical design for like housings and rounds right. and Realizing, tubes. realizing the, the yeah. design and helping the design and yeah. and making the stuff. Right. Um, and then my other role is the optical fabrication. Yeah. Um, so we have two main machines we use for that. There's the diamond turning machine and the glass glass press mold machine, both from Moore Nanotech. Um, it's a company in New Hampshire that uh, makes these really high precision hmm. tools. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of diamond turning, which is uh, using a, a small diamond tool um, mounted on a Z slide. So mm-hmm. it moves along, it moves parallel to the uh, optical axis of uh, the part you're, you're making. Right. The part <clears throat> rotates, and uh, the machine moves the part in X and Y, um, mm-hmm. so that the so the diamond tool can cut whatever surface you need. And uh, there are lathes that do that, uh, but ours is a uh, is, is a diamond turning machine. So that adds um, that adds the y axis and uh, c axis, which is uh, uh, a linear encoder mounted on the spindle, so that the machine knows the exact uh, rotational position of the part. Okay. So combining that rotational position with the Z position right. lets you cut a, cut a freeform optic that's 
not rotationally symmetric because hmm. you can sync up the tool um, tool height above the part to the rotational position of the part. Okay. And this is something, it's interesting to me because my research is on metrology for freeform optics, mm -hmm. which are becoming more and more popular. But, you know, you get, uh, we tested a, a spherical mirror with a spiral pattern imprinted onto it. Okay. And it's just kind of wild that these things are, I mean, they're like really freeform and that they're made. Um, is it, how hard is it to learn to use this, this specific machine or like a diamond turning machine in general? Is it common knowledge or is it more so a specialized? Um, it's pretty specialized. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of experience that goes into being able to create a high quality part. Mm -hmm. um, but like coming from knowing how to use a lathe and uh, like learning learning some G code from running the CNC mm -hmm. um, that I was using uh, when I was working for Todd um, I think those helped me a lot in learning to use the machine and modify the the code that uh, that is generated for it effectively right yeah. without breaking something or yeah and oh. and knowing to be careful not to yeah broken yeah the machine right yeah the, the yeah how crushing. how much does the machine cost um just like ballpark it's, it's in the hundreds of thousands yeah okay I always find this kind of machine is like people used to in the used in people in the past in the mechanical field and they say we can use this stuff to make mechanical structure. Uh -huh. So how about change it into optical surfaces? Uh -huh. It should be where because it's just cutting and making the shape. And but for optical elements definitely we have higher requirements for comparing to the mechanical parts. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you mind telling us, like, for for the diamond turning machine, what kind of, where okay for where people who ask you to help them to fabricate something, what parameters with them or parameters they always care about? Um, customers care about the um, obviously the the form of the yeah. part, making sure it's mm -hmm. accurate to what they it matches what they designed. Um, and the surface finish, those are the main things. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, so what yeah. type of accuracy can you get with the diamond turn machine? Um, for the form, a uh, quarter wave of, uh, of oh. form is, is relatively easy to achieve. Wow, that's mind-blowing. Well, yeah, that is um, great. <laughs> And uh, surface finish, it it depends a lot on the material. Mm -hmm. um, brass and aluminum and nickel, the diamond turnable metals. Right. You can get uh, depending on the material, one to one to three nanometers RMS. That's insane, huh? Um, there is a downside though, from from my perspective, with the diamond turn optic, which is that you do get. Uh, 
tool I guess. Pattern? Yeah, you get the tool pattern, um, which for some purposes isn't a big deal, but when you start using coherent light on them or something, you, you start to get these diffractive effects. Mm -hmm. uh, do you care to comment on where that arises from? Um, yeah. Uh, so the tool path that, uh, that we generate for parts comes out as a spiral. Like you mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. you had a part with a spir spiral imprinted on it. Um, I'm assuming that was a larger scale. They thing. happen, yeah. They happen to use uh, MRF for it, and it was a pretty significant spiral. Um, but yeah, it was intentional. It wasn't. Okay. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> like, a, oh my god, what's this spiral doing here? So yeah. Um, so those uh, those tool marks um, they depend a lot on the tool radius mm -hmm. and um, the the feed rate. Um, so kind of a standard uh, step over size is about three microns per rotation. Okay. Um, that's going to change with, with the tool selection and everything. Uh, and the tool, what specifically is the tool? Or I um, guess the tool head, but yeah, can you? So it's a, uh, it's a synthetic diamond um, that is shaped into either a, uh, a tilted cylinder or a conical shape mm -hmm. and then it's lapped flat across the top it can either be flat or right right they can lap some uh, some uh, angle into it which right. you would need for different types of materials like a crystal you would want a negative rake angle across the top of the, the tool right um, for most things you want just a flat top, um, and there are a couple of different uh, different shapes of profiles that mm -hmm. uh, that you use. The typical one is a circular radius, um, and they're defined based on that radius. Right. Um, and let's see how to describe this for a podcast <laughs> with a. <laughs> Without using my hand, um, we can we can um, provide pictures as well. Yeah, with a link to the okay. podcast. So that may be. Yeah. So there's like a full radius tool that goes uh, from the center. There's a radius to either side, and then there's a slope that's tangent to that radius. Mm -hmm. uh, so it comes out as like a rounded off triangle. Okay. So that's a full radius tool. A half radius tool is that just cut in half. So imagine a straight line right. with a radius coming off of one side and right. the tangent line like you would see on the like on the yep. circular yep. part okay. um, or circular radius tool. Um, and we do have one tool that's a square profile, and there are other custom different types custom that tools you can, you can order that right. are like a sharp point at a at a defined angle right. or anything like that. Um, the diamond tool providers are are uh, pretty capable in yeah. generating custom parts, but do they last long? The tool tool parts? Yeah, we can uh, we can relap them many many times um, if the tool wears down at the at a at a given point. We can remount it so that that worn down point is no longer in use mm -hmm. um, or we can send it out to be relapped for 
just around fifty dollars per part. Oh, oh, that's yeah. So, yeah. So refinishing is is not a problem. So it's a, it's the machine itself is going to be the biggest investment. It sounds like for sure the tool parts. You can get new ones. You can repair them for low yeah. cost. Yeah, and standard uh, like circular. Uh, profile parts or tools rather um, run between five hundred to a thousand dollars new mm-hmm. and then so you not, just yeah, keep yeah. relapping it until oh, cool. until you need to get it <laughs> <laughs> until you drop it or something right. <laughs> you destroy the tool. Uh, oh go ahead please it's okay because I always thought the tool is gonna be really expensive because it's diamond yeah. Well, so. synthetic diamonds to grow in a lab are mm. relatively really cheap. Mm. They're not they're not like the uh, um, exaggerated prices that jewelry diamonds mm. right get priced with. You can't can't put a price on love, but you can put a price <laughs> on fabricating optics. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if uh, Jared Diamonds wants to pay me for that, they can. <laughs> Uh, what's the what's the hardest material you've had to work with on the diamond turning machine? Um, that you hardest had to get? as in well, yeah, that was a terrible way to phrase difficult it. Difficult or what was the most challenging material you work with? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, not like, hardest. Yeah, like for like for normal polishing, it's like we say the soft material and the hard material are really hard to polishing. Yeah, they are, uh, and it's similar in diamond turning. Oh, really? Um, So, uh, acrylic is, you can get a good surface finish, but oh. it takes a lot of tweaking the parameters to, to get it to come out right without like diffractive effects or kind of, uh, the plastic gumming up as it's cutting. So and does it melt? No. Extent, or? No. Um, you're not cutting very deep. Um, so, there's so not it's, thermal. it's, okay. Yeah. Okay. There's not a whole lot of, uh, compression of the material causing mm-hmm. that sort of heat. Um, it's just really touchy to right, right. get everything set right yeah. for the part you're cutting and um, also making sure it's that your that your part is mounted stably enough that you're not yeah, I mean, well, you're saying quarter wave form and one to three nanometers of RMS across yeah. That is really hard. I mean, that's hard mm-hmm. to imagine, you know, that that you can hold, that you can have everything positioned well enough that at the end of the day, you basically imagine something and it turns out almost perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, for, I mean, for listeners that don't do design or fabrication or metrology, I think it's easy to take for granted that like, oh, well, I just this is the thing I want and I'm going to get it. This is the thing I want. And I'm going to get it today rather than right, right. in four weeks of right after yeah. polishing and Yeah. And I would say, and, oh my God, how can I spend a whole day and get what you want? Like, I have to make a lot of things definitely that more than one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, with polishing glass optics, that the, the time scale is way different. Yeah, yeah, it's totally different. And I always feel like the preparation for fabrication is always longer than the real fabrication. 
like if you oh, if you deal a material you are really familiar with, mm. like you have already know what the recipe are gonna use, the preparation time is always longer than the real fabrication mm. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for normal polishing process for fabricated thing, we care about the speed, the pressure, and the and what compound we use right now. But for mm-hmm. diamond turner, I just assume it's different, right? Yeah, it is. Um, so we're using a different method rather than polishing and mm-hmm. using uh, friction to wear yeah. away uh, the material. We're cutting, so mm-hmm. we're like lifting little chips of material <laughs> off of the surface of the part. Um, so we care about the uh, the speed, which is the rotational speed of the mm-hmm. spindle, uh, the feed, which is the um, the speed of the tool across the part. Right. And those combine to give you like the uh, the tool mark spacing that I mentioned earlier. Right. Right. And then also the uh, the amount of coolant you apply varies for the different types of materials that we can cut. Um, so metals, we always need coolant. Mm-hmm. Uh, crystals, we always need coolant. It's actually a little bit more. You need a flood rather than just a yeah. mist for crystals. Um, but plastics, you want to cut those dry. Hmm. Just yeah. Is this because it's going to have some chemical effect? Or uh, it can, um, depending on the material. Uh, we use mineral spirits to cool the part uh, when we're using a mist, um, and I haven't looked into what what the reasoning is for using coolant on a plastic or not, but mm-hmm. that's the industry standard. Yeah, <laughs> and I presume so. I presume between metals, <clears throat> metals and crystals, crystals you're shearing, right? You're shearing pieces of the crystal off, whereas the metal is truly cutting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's not like a trivial distinction. Yeah, and that's uh, that's uh, why there are different tool shapes that you would use for the mm-hmm. different materials. Um, you want a a lower lower angle of the tool against the part, so that that top rake angle of the tool. Is a negative angle. Um, so it sounds like it sounds to me like a perfect process. You can yeah. send out the design. You can get any just about anything cut into it really quick, yeah. and a lot of materials. Uh, where what's wrong with it? Why are why are we not using this every day <laughs> for everything? Uh, well, it's not perfect. Um, when you're cutting metals, you need to cut very shallow cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, as you mentioned before, like the the heat of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. cutting away material, um, we can't really tolerate that in <laughs> in a diamond tool a whole lot. Um, so metal parts can take a long time mm-hmm. because we're we're cutting away so little at a time, like. Uh, 10 microns at the the very max. Oh wow. Well, we can probably do faster on depending on the material. But that's like a general uh like 10 microns would be a coarse cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's small. That would take yeah. a while. Finished cuts we do just a couple of microns. Huh. Mm-hmm. 
And then just assume it's going to be a limitation for the size of the sample, right? Yeah, there is. Uh, our machine can handle up to a 650 millimeter diameter. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the specs say around uh, 300 millimeter of uh, Z height. But that would be a very, very steep part. <laughs> uh, even at that diameter. Um, And mounting is would be tricky with that. You know, we would have to make uh, some sort of custom fixture to mount it on the spindle. Um, but let's see other limitations. Um, there are the types of materials that we can cut. We're limited in that um, because uh, glasses, um, when they're coming into contact with uh, with a diamond tool. They kind of bond with it and degrade the tool very, very quickly. Like yeah. you could, you could wear a diamond tool um, to unusability within just a pass or two. I'm sure. Uh, wow. When I, trying to cut glass, it's because of the silicates really? yeah, no, in the glass. Okay. Uh, so that's not a diamond turnable material. Um, also, ferrous metals you can't do those. So steel. Hmm. Um, we can't do, but um, when we're when we're molding glasses, we do need to use a steel uh, mold substrate mm -hmm. uh, because of the temperatures that we're uh, that we're heating the glass to. So in that case, we um, we have a steel mold rough cut and then plate some nickel on top of that, and then we can diamond turn the nickel. Oh, okay. Oh. So whatever profile we need, we can diamond turn into the nickel. And it's and just like a glass. fairly thin layer of nickel. Yeah, you can get it um, like a couple of hundred uh, microns thick. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm. Get that plated on, cut what you need into it. Hmm. I think that serves as a nice transition too, so uh, do you mind telling us more about molding yeah sure um, so the uh, the molding machine that we have is a uh, is also a nanotech machine um, man these guys they really they have a monopoly on these machines you know <laughs> yeah there are there are a few other manufacturers um, but nanotech is one of the best right right that I've heard of so hmm. um, so our machine, um, I don't remember the top temperature limit, but uh, we can press um, any plastic um, and uh, some low temperature glasses. Hmm. Um, so some that we've done are, the well, the ones that I've done since I've been working here are uh, PMMA mm -hmm. and um, KPG 325 is a low temperature glass. moldable glass. Huh. That's, that's always cool. Uh, the idea is really cool to me. Yeah. Uh, so for our molds, uh, we can create those on the diamond turning machine. For PMMA, we can turn them in aluminum or brass. Because mm -hmm. um, a lower temperature that you're operating the, the press at? Yes. Okay. okay. Um, we usually have... Uh, the rough cuts done at an outside shop because they can do it 
quickly and pretty cheaply. Right. And then we just diamond turn in the uh, optical surface that we need to replicate. Hmm. Um, and we cut flat a uh, whatever blank we need to to press. Uh, so that it has a nice optical finish on it to start mm -hmm. and put it in the machine. Uh, we need to set up the, uh, the parameters on the, on the machine. Uh, we can control the temperature that we're going up to, uh, the pressure we apply on the mold, uh, and the time that we're going to, we're going to leave the part in there. Right. Uh, all those are important parameters that we need to kind of fine-tune for each part that we're making. Hmm. Okay. Because the geometry of the mold is going to be different on each one. There are different uh, there are different rates that the heat's going to transfer into the 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 blank. Yeah, it seems to me like you. Um, well, when I took thermodynamics. Uh, it was awful. I was really phenomenally bad at it. Um, and you would hear about, I mean, they would, they would describe these situations of like, well, we need to understand the boundary conditions and how the energy and heat's going to transfer throughout whatever our material is. And in your head, at least in my head, I said, I don't need to worry about this. I'll never use it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's totally abstract to me. You are using it quite actively. Um, and it sounds like these are the types of things that probably heavily guide how you, how you're going to set up these parameters. Is that accurate? Or um, yeah, I don't uh, I don't use the that right, sort of right. calculation or anything. Um, but you probably but it's stuff you need to keep yeah, in mind yeah. for what's probably affecting mm -hmm. uh, either the finish of the part or maybe it didn't it didn't fill all the gaps mm -hmm. in the mold or um, we're getting a bubble in this area. Why is that? Uh, <laughs> so what kind of quality are you going to get from the molding machine? Um, you're never going to exceed the quality of the mold. Uh, um, so we can match pretty closely the, the surface finish that we diamond turn into the mold. Um, but we need to be really careful about cleanliness. Um, so we really need to uh, clean the mold well after each each pressing cycle, uh, and uh, make sure we don't get any finger fingerprints or hair or lint or anything on the surface. Um, and. Yeah, that can make some interesting mistakes. So if you get like a little piece of fiber from a lens cloth or something like that, that may burn up as mm. you like right. depending on its depending on its melting point. Right. And make like a giant streak larger than the little <laughs> filament started uh, out as. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, cleanliness is very important in molding. Huh. Uh, what types of material? Oh, so you so you said plastics and glass. Um, yeah. What's what's like the timeline? So 
if I ordered a plastic part versus a glass part, when could I expect it to be completed? Or I guess, like, what's the overall process? Uh, of molding? Yeah, in general. Like, if I sent you, here's this new freeform part, and I want it A, out of plastic, or B, out of glass, what would happen, I guess? Okay. Um, so we would have to design the mold around that part. It's mm -hmm. going to be... Um, slightly larger in diameter, mm -hmm. plus um, enough diameter for a ring that uh, that aligns the two halves of the mold together. Um, so it it could be three times the diameter of the part if it's a small part, mm. or much larger than that even. Or mm. it could be just an extra five millimeters diameter if it's a larger part. Right. Um, we'd have to design the negative of your your molded part or your uh, design part um, with whatever uh, maybe you would need a flat on the edge mm -hmm. uh, for mounting or maybe we would just need to leave a flat for uh, expansion of the of the material right as we're heating it up um, So we would design that, and um, if it's a glass part, um, we're going to have to have uh, a steel blank made, mm -hmm. so we'd have to design that blank. Um, once once we get it back, we need to have it plated somewhere. Um, let's see, so all of that may, be, may take uh, two to three weeks, maybe. Depends on the machine shop and right. the plating shop. Um, for an aluminum part, we could just have it machined and then receive it back and be able to diamond turn it. Mm -hmm. um, so that could be maybe one or two weeks, depending on the machine shop and and how busy we are. Right, right. Everything else. Um, then once we've got the uh, okay uh, plating, once we get that back, we we do the same thing, diamond turn it. Um, then after that, we'd have to uh, make sure that the ring is the correct thickness uh, so that our final part has the thickness you desire. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's also going to be some trial and error. Um, so it may come out a little bit too thick, and we need to trim away a little bit from the ring that's, that holds the two mold halves apart. Um, or if it's... If it comes out too thin, we may need to uh, take a few more passes mm -hmm. on the diamond turning machine to give it more space or put spacers in between. Huh. It depends on the part and how much right. how much off we are. Um, the cycles are going to take a different amount of time for the different materials too. Um, so for for a plastic part. We can just use compressed air for the for cooling, mm -hmm. um, because we're going to a lower temperature. It takes less time to go up in temperature, less time to come back down in temperature, um, and we don't need to accelerate that with uh, with other gases. But if we're pressing glass, we need to go to maybe another 
100 degrees or 200 degrees C mm. higher. Uh, so we need to use uh, nitrogen mm. to cool it. Uh, we'll have to order that nitrogen tank, get it delivered right. based on uh, based on the uh, cryo shop's availability and right. schedule and everything. Um, and then the the glass pressing could take two to three times as long. Hmm. Um, because of those temperature shifts, or the extent of how large that temperature changes? Yeah, and also you need to make sure all that heat is soaked all the way in to your mm -hmm. part, making sure it's all at its glass transition temperature. Right. Um, by the time you're at full uh, full compression. Mm -hmm. And then you need to slowly cool it back down so there's not any sort of thermal shock or mm -hmm. any bad stuff. <laughs> Do you get uh, built-in stresses often in the materials? Um, you would, um, but the more gradually you increase and decrease the temperature, that's going to allow the, the stresses to relax. Okay. Huh. Huh. So. And that's kind of what annealing does. Right. That, that right. is annealing. Oh, okay. So how frequently do these, how, how many steps do you normally do before you say, okay, now the mold is correct and the, the piece that we'll get out of the press machine will be the piece we deliver? Because you said that you have to adjust the ring, you have to adjust sometimes the plating, you might have to diamond turn again, etc. Um, or parameters of the machine. So how many steps is that normally? Um, it can be five, ten cycles. Oof. That sounds not fun. Yeah, it's... It's slow, but it's like slow. you can do other stuff while the yeah. right, molding right. machine is running. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Like prepare more blanks or cut other projects on the diamond turning machine. That's shit. Yeah. Because otherwise you find your time just goes so fast and you do <laughs> nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You need to be able to multitask. <laughs> yeah. So the real cost in this technique sounds like it's from all the build up to get it right to press the piece or to mold the piece. So it doesn't, I don't think it's in like the material, right? It's not like plastic or the glass. The glass might, but I don't think the glass costs too much. Um, yeah, there may be some, some costs depending on uh, how complex your mold is right, to right. have some machine shop make it. Hmm. And is it cheaper to use a to get a molded piece than to get a diamond turn piece? Uh, that's going to depend on the design. And okay, yeah. How many copies you need. Um, right. Like if it's got some sort of special feature that can only be diamond turned. Or mm -hmm. Well, because it sounds to me like you need the diamond turning machine for the molding machine. When you were talking yeah. about, you know, the cutting into the plating or whatever, or yeah. if it's an aluminum. You need an optical surface to create an optical surface in the molding machine, so 
so what do they do before? To, hopefully, you'll forgive my ignorance, but I presume they have molding machines prior to diamond turning machines. Mm -hmm. uh, and they will just, be they will be polished like you would. Okay. Polish a glass lens. And you just have a limit to the. So. Yeah. Like you would just polish a mirror into right. steel or whatever whatever mold material you're going to use, and then you just press the negative into the yeah. uh, huh. plastic. Huh. Yeah. So it sounds like the diamond turn is just like the polishing process. You need a grinded sample first. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, we do actually have uh, some equipment that'll let us start grinding with the diamond turning machine. Uh, we just bought a uh, B-axis accessory, which uh, lets us rotate the tool um, about the about the y-axis, kind of uh, right, right. the axis coming up out of the Z table of the machine. Right. And um, a high-speed spindle, which will let us mount a diamond milling tool or uh, or a, a grinding wheel hmm. which oh. is Great. like resin bonded diamond oh my god so it sounds like they have got everything yeah, from, yeah. from the black chunk and then to grind, grinding it and then yeah. to polishing it and even the post polishing it right, right. Yeah. so we oh will god. be able to to grind glass and uh, and ferrous metals once we once we're able to get that uh, accessory installed. Wow. And is there a benefit to grinding with the diamond? Uh, so I've seen them do it with like the diamond pads, where they, what you were saying, they, they uh, use a resin and then use diamond particles, and that's like the grinding pad. Is there a big benefit to, to grinding with diamond versus traditional grinding methods? Um, we can do freeforms. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and A spheres and everything. Mm -hmm pretty pretty easily whereas um, if you're if you're just grinding glass with a standard yeah uh, polishing machine it's gonna be it's, just it's gonna be slow um, and you may only be able to achieve a uh, a spherical surface. Yeah, I got depending on your polishing machine. That's true. As well as the limitation of the of the radius of curvature mm. and all those things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't realize uh, how transformative just diamond uh, the use. Of, it's the use of diamonds. Is that the key thing that enabled this technology? Um. Yeah, because it it's a like the hardest material, right. so it can maintain its shape over a long period of time and stay consistent. Right. Um, so it it's able to cut away a whole bunch of material and still maintain the profile you want, mm -hmm. um, while giving a very good uh, surface quality. Yeah, actually, even in the traditional way, we actually quite like the diamond powder. Hmm. But the the another part is like it may introduce some scratches, so that mm, is the thing right. you have to control all the parameters you want. But diamond powder is always we like because 
because it's just probably really fast. faster. Yeah. yeah, it's really fast, and it will give you a, even a well-distributed RMS surface comparing oh, yeah. to others. Because it's quite I don't know, it's not quite simple, but like for metal, if you're using some traditional way like aluminum oxide or something, you have to care about the pH value because they're gonna have some chemical chemical effect between the sample and the polishing compound, but when you are using diamond, it usually just sounds like you're cutting stuff. Mm, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So. And did it, um, did synthetic, did the ability to get synthetic diamonds, is that really what made this possible? Like, you know? I'm sure. Uh, diamond turning Technology started like in the late 60s, early yeah. 70s. Oh, that long ago? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just wow. The military used it a lot for yeah. like satellites and like spy satellites right, and right. spy planes for creating spy IR. Right, right. IR lenses. Huh. <laughs> in on the, you can also think in in another way, like for the traditional polishing, your polishing tool is always large. I mean, not mm, so yeah, small. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely got a limitation for the shape you want to do. But now we use a diamond turn, it's just a single point knife, something like that. Mm. So you got more possibilities, you can make the shape whatever, yeah. whenever you, whatever you want. Much yeah. steeper um, yeah. uh, surface slopes and mm. complex, um, complex features for mounting that are integrated in the part. Yeah. Uh, we've done we've done some of that for uh, for an NIH project that uh, mm -hmm. that we're in process on. Yeah, actually it goes to the freeform times because right now freeform optics are really popular and people always want to get that. It's like one really easy thing is to not easy one one thing people always care about is the tool pass. Mm. So you can change that. So you have to also care about the tool size. Right, right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you think about nowadays technology like the diamond turned and the MRF and even iron polishing, the, the tool they use, like whatever tool, like for diamond turn is just like a diamond knife or something. For mm -hmm. for the iron it's like just iron things yeah, going into yeah. that. They're really small. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, and there's a big range of of tools. That you can get from a from a diamond maker. Yeah, um, I think good. the smallest we have is a quarter micron, somewhere around there. Hmm. Oh. Um, half radius tool. Wow. Is there a true? Is there like the smaller the tool it is, the better the surface it got, or is it the case? Um, Where you have to go through a process like first we start it with a larger tool head and then go to the yeah, that's that's probably the best way to do it. Like, mm. if if you need to remove a lot of material, mm -hmm. um, because the smaller the tool, the slower you have to go. Otherwise, you're right. You're just going to be making record grooves in the right in the part. <laughs> um, so the smaller the tool, um, the smaller the depth of cut, and the slower the feed. You have to go, so it's really gonna ratchet up the time that the part's gonna take. Mm -hmm. um, so um, yeah, we would we would want to use a larger part 
to remove the bulk of the material really quickly and then go back behind and clean up with a smaller part mm -hmm. if we needed something with tiny features. If I'm still trying to make like a just purely a spherical lens, is polishing still the way to go? Yeah, we can make that. But is it like if you had the choice, would you do a diamond turning machine or would you just polish it? Well, I have to say first, oh. you have to think about the material. For sure. Yeah, that is yeah. most important. Because if you need a glass, diamond turning is not your way to, way to go. Yeah. But okay. if you go to the metal, like the aluminum, really soft, diamond is super good for that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, or if you can, if you can handle a plastic lens with whatever um, uh, dispersion properties, mm -hmm. the material you choose is going to have. If you can handle all that, then diamond turning is the way to go because yeah. you can make the part. Yeah. And you relatively have to, very very quickly that's right. true and you have to care about the size mm -hmm. that is also another limitation and hmm. yes basically that's it because hmm. I have to say because the traditional polishing is well well established so the cost and the procedure they, they do is like well standard so yeah. it may be cheaper than the diamond turning um, it, it, it can be in certain yeah. in uh, certain uh, situations. Mm -hmm. Like if you can if you can use stock parts from Edmund or something, mm -hmm. that's probably going to be a lot cheaper than ordering a diamond turn part that yeah. uh, that does the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you need custom custom stuff, diamond turning is a really useful uh, method. Yeah. Well, and it's. We, um, I helped out on the Degas primary downstairs, okay. and we went at a really fast pace. At the time, everyone was really uh, pleased with the pace. We were making good progress. We got a lot of the form down with the grinding process instead of the polishing, which is even slower. Uh, and it took us a couple of years yeah. total. And then if you go across the street to where they're making these, like the GMT mirrors or the 8.4 meter mirrors, so it can take five to seven years per mirror wow. for an off-axis A-sphere, or off-axis parabola, I think. Um, so not spiral patterns in the mirror, not very random steep cuts or anything like that. They're big, I mean, they're big, obviously, so it will take more time, but it takes years and years and years, whereas if you have the opportunity, you can get something diamond turned. You can get it done quick, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's... And we can do we can do off-axis stuff pretty easily. Um, whether whether um, we can do it in a slow slow slide spindle mode, where we just stick the part on the spindle and. Mm -hmm. And and cut it, but if the if the um, if the slope is too high to do that, like uh, if the if the if the tool's not going to be able to move right toward the part and back out fast enough, then we could do something like uh, either mount the part off axis and just cut a parabola into it. Mm -hmm. Um, with a 
with a specialized fixture, or mount it at an angle and cut cut a rotated parabola into it, or mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we would have to figure out as we we're designing the process what would be the best, the best way to yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, and it always has less edge effect, right? Edge effect? Yeah, edge effect. Um, you can get some if you've got an interrupted cut like that, like uh, uh, mounting a part off-axis and turning it. Um, but you can you can reduce that by making sure the that the part's well balanced. Like you can mount two or four or six parts around a circle if you need multiples. That could reduce it, or uh, you could mount it. Inside of, like, imagine a, a revolver's chamber. Mm-hmm. You know, you can mount like several parts inside a, a inside a base that has multiple right, right. holes for it, so that you don't have an interrupted cut. You've got a, a full parabola that you're cutting, and then you're just right. removing your two parts or whatever. Huh. But that's going to depend on uh, what size your part is. Right. If you've got something that's like uh, two inches in, di- in diameter that you need off-axis, and that's going to be a lot of material <laughs> right. Right. that you need to cut. So, so any advice for people who want to go to a manufacturing field? Yeah, because this is a somewhat, <laughs> especially, again, especially in optics, this is somewhat uncommon. Um, if you went to undergrad here, you either maybe you came into it knowing something about it, or you learned about it in optomechanics, um, or maybe through some other way. But it's just not as common. So, what what would you recommend as a path? Um, well, I think for me, I had a lot of uh, like hands-on, yeah, experience building stuff, experience. Like even back to my childhood, I. My favorite toy was Lego. Right, right. I that is built so stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah, because it's I built stuff yeah. like my entire childhood. Right. Um, and uh, I used to have like a wood shop in my garage, so I, mm. I built some. I built a desk, a table, <laughs> cabinets. Right. Um, a lot of stuff like that. Um. um did a bunch of mechanical stuff on aircraft mm-hmm. as well as electronic stuff. Um, used to do a lot of work on my car. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if, if you want to do something like this, like um, machining or fabrication, you it, it would help you a lot to, to have that interest at least in, um, in being hands-on and and having a good idea how to how to arrive at your end destination, yeah, like being really. able to plan that out and do it <laughs> accurately right. like yeah, by your is, plans. That is very important. Just like have you ever goes into a situation when you go to the art class for your for your elementary school? Some people just draw things better than you, uh, and you just yeah. don't know the reason why. Yeah. And maybe just because they draw a lot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So. And a lot of people get at like, um, say, drawing a person or an animal or something by constructing it from, like, 
ovals or something yeah, like that, yeah, and they yeah. kind of build up from that to the detail that yeah. they want at the end. The thing is, like when you first heard nowadays manufacturing technology, you just feel like okay, it's just like programming stuff, and we have already got the machine. All I have to do is just put a sample there and run the program. Right. Yeah. But it's and actually not this case. <laughs> you have to make there, something. There is a lot of that. Um, the the software that the manufacturer makes generates uh, generates G code like similar to what you would use on any other CNC, yeah. um, and it doesn't always come out exactly how I want it. There, yeah. there's like a certain time that I always want the the um, the coolant nozzle to shut off. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I created a Python script to just so that I can just run that after I generate the G code every mm -hmm. time and it, it edits the code for me, hmm. uh, so that so that I have the toolpath I want and the all the correct timings and offsets and all right. that stuff that I want, right? Rather than what the machine wants, what the program spits out. Well, I think so. There is a lot of programming. Um, I use MATLAB for a lot of like toolpath stuff, like generating customs custom toolpaths. Um, Python for like either processing Excel files or um, editing the G code that that's already spit out of the, right. the toolpath program. And stuff. Right. So I do a lot of programming too. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think another thing is like you have to be really calm down <laughs> and really balance your time because yeah. otherwise you're gonna go into a position you feel like you did a lot. But when your professor asks you what you got, you say, um, I don't know how to say, it seems like nothing, but right, I really right. did a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. My, my limited exposure to, to seeing you guys do it, or when we were working on a DKIS was that it, it very, the line between <clears throat> the science and the engineering and art starts getting blended or blurred. Um, seeing some of the people in the machine shop, it's I, I would describe it more as an art than I would as engineering because it's just knowing it's this built-up library of knowledge about the materials you're working with, the machine you're working with, and knowing, like you were saying, if it's off-axis and you had to balance it, well, how can I what set it up? What are the different how, ways I can do that? Right, right. Yeah. And that is kind of very different from a lot of the sciences, where it's it's like, oh, well, here's the equation, and I I do this, I'll get this instead mm -hmm. of, or probably what you see a lot of, where people say, I want this lens. Well, there's a lot to getting that lens. Yeah. That uh, but yeah. Yeah, and trust people, learn from the experienced people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Than yourself. Yeah. You can trust yourself definitely, but it just may take longer than what people tell you. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, I don't think we. Do you have any further questions or? Uh, not really. Okay. I guess that's all. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um. Any last no, words of wisdom or? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Well, awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks Thank again. You. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Great. That was like the most 
positive one we've had it's normally Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We look forward to any comments or feedback you may have. To leave a comment, please visit our website at loft.optics.arizona.edu slash podcast or our Facebook, which is SPL Report. Additionally, you can email us at thespotlightreport at gmail.com. Lastly, we would like to mention that we are always looking for new topics or people to interview. So if you have a topic that you would like us to cover, please let us know. Thank you and have a good week.